How's everyone going? Enjoying the lovely warm weather this morning? Oh yeah. Hey, welcome along. My name's Dave and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, I'm excited. Obviously, we had just had a huge amount of notices. There's an, an awful lot going on in our church at the moment and that is, that's actually a really wonderful thing. Uh, that talent night, when Beck floated that idea, I was like, this is so exciting. It took me back to back in the day when we did a five-cent talent night to raise funds uh, for missionaries uh, at, a, at an old church. And I remember my sister and I did a river dance. Uh, we played, and literally all we did was jump up and down and wiggle our feet and from one side to the other. So you don't have to be incredibly talented to have a talent. Um, People laughed and laughed and laughed. We didn't win. Uh, the person who won was a pianist and he was amazing. And there was another guy who had a harmonica and a piano and he played as the deer pants and uh, played it really like, do, 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 do. It was a laugh. It was good fun. Uh, so we're going to have a great time on that night. There's so much going on and God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, we're in a series on Second Timothy. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there now? We're in the second chapter at the 14th verse, and we're just going to get stuck straight into it. It says this, remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Everyone say quarrel, which does, not, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself or herself from what is dishonorable, then they will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting their opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Your word is good. Your word is true. Your word is life and light. And we pray that you would speak now. We thank you that you are just, you just love to, to speak. You are always speaking. You are always trying to communicate with your people. So give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and eyes to see. And may I step out of the way, and may you speak, Lord. May you speak and drop a word on each one of these people's hearts that's going to sustain them this week uh, and encourage them in the faith we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 
the other just the other week, uh, Benji and I, I picked Benji up from school and we were walking down that hill. I did a secret park in the year seven centre because so, I couldn't get a park up here because there was people everywhere. And um, we were walking down there and we were just chatting away as we do. And Benji said to me, he said, Daddy, what colour do dogs like? And I said, I don't know, mate. Maybe red? And he got so upset. He goes, no, balls like red. What do dogs like? I was like, well, I don't know, mate. And he goes, why don't you know? Dad, you're an adult. You're an adult, Dad. I'm a kid. I'm not supposed to know. You're an adult, Dad. You should know what colours dogs like. And so then I said, well, let me, like, let me, let me think about it for a moment. <laughs> And then what I like to do sometimes is then use big words to try and confuse them or really simple things to try and confuse them and I don't know the answer. So then I was like, look, there's a stick. That'd make an awesome sword because I didn't know the answer. <laughs> but I couldn't shake it. Normally you can shake him with a distraction, but he was like, what do dogs, what colours do dogs like? And I just kept saying, well, cow, like bulls like red, so it's probably red. And he was convinced that it wasn't the case. And he was convinced of this idea that I was an adult. And because I was an adult, I should know the answer. And when I got to, I was thinking about this the other day. And it's, it's sort of that whole idea that um, he had this, this idea in mind that when we're young, we're not supposed to know everything. When we're young, we're supposed to have these seasons of, of growth and development. And they've got this beautiful, inquisitive mind, don't they, where they want to know more and, and just glean off everything they can, even if it comes down to what color dogs like. And as adults, we've had all this time, all this experience, all this opportunity to grow and to learn. And so he just had this thought that adults should know this stuff You've had so much life, Dad. Your hair's going grey, Dad. Why would you not have investigated something as fascinating as this? The deeper truths of life. And it's interesting because I think sometimes when it comes to faith, this is what we're like. We get, we get saved and we have this profound sense of, oh, there's so much to learn. God is so good. I want to investigate this. I want to dive into this. I want to know more and more and more. And then life happens and we get old in the faith. We mature in, well, maybe we don't even mature. We get old in the faith. We're no longer five years old as Christians, but we've maybe even Christians 15, 20, 25 years. And we get old in the faith, but we lose that thing that says, oh, what about this? What about that? And we stop growing in learning and understanding. And then we have these people who are young in the faith and they're inquisitive and they come to us and they're like, well, what about this? And we're like, no, I don't know. I don't know. And then they'll say, why? And you're like, well, to be honest, I just was content with knowing what I know. I got satisfied in this simplistic surface level faith when what I should have been doing is diving down. I got satisfied with balls like red when what I should have been doing is diving down and learning that dogs are colorblind. <laughs> and they see blue and yellow in the faith. And this is what I love about Paul's letter to Timothy is because he's saying, Timothy, don't get stuck at the surface level. Don't be just content. 
Don't, like, you've learned all this stuff. You've been doing a great job. You've been leading this church in Ephesus. Things are going pretty well. Now you're starting to suffer and going through some struggle and strife. But don't just be satisfied with that because there's deeper things. Dogs see blue and yellow. There's deeper things that you need to grasp. There's deeper things to step into. Because the faith is never supposed to be just about knowing a few things and being content and satisfied with saying, hey, Jesus loves me, God loves me, God saved me, I have eternal security, eternal salvation. No, it's about understanding that salvation is so much deeper than that. That salvation is about transformation. That the revelation of God's love is about transformation. It's about a life that is completely given over to Christ. A life that starts to sing the song of the Spirit. A life that starts to bear fruit of the Spirit. A life that looks different to every other life. There's deeper things. There's deeper things. And we shouldn't get stuck on the surface level. No, 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 there is so much richness and so much gold. And Paul writes to Timothy, and he's basically saying, hey, Timothy, come out of the shallows and into the deep. There's deeper things. There's a call upon your life. Don't forsake that call. Don't forsake it. Don't just be satisfied with the status quo. Come deeper. And there might be suffering in that. There might be trial in that. But there's something to it. And what we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that Paul started this conversation by talking about the what Timothy needed to do. He started talking about his what you have to do and this charge to be a soldier, to be like a farmer, to be like an athlete. If you haven't seen that, catch it up later on the podcast. Um, And this whole idea that this is who you should be. And then last week we talked about the reason why you should do it because God is awesome and the reward is great and the eternal inheritance is sure. And he started unpacking that theological truth. And today he starts to talk about the how. How to do it. How to become that useful vessel. And when you read this in the ESV, the title is a worker approved by God. The NIV says false teachers. And I think the ESV gets it right. In that, yes, in a minute we'll see he's talking about false teachers, but it's deeper than that. He's talking about a worker approved by God. He's talking about becoming a useful vessel. He's talking about being deeper than just grace. He's talking about not staying on the surface, not just being content with, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith and therefore I will just cruise in my life. No, he's saying when you have a revelation of being saved by grace through faith, when you get filled with the Spirit, your life will look different. Yes, God loves you. Yes, you are accepted by God regardless of what you do. Yes, there's going to be ups and downs. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, life will never be perfect for you. That is all true. But the call of a Christian witness is that there has to be something different about us, that there has to be change, there has to be transformation, and it will look a particular way. And he's calling us into that space to becoming a vessel that God can use God loves you, now he wants to use you. And in order to be useful in the kingdom, there's certain things that a Christian should look like. Amen? And so he gets into this passage, and it's magnificent. I just want to pull out, we don't have heaps of time this morning, so I just want to pull out three quick things that I see in this text of areas that that Paul is calling Timothy into. Is that all right? Are you okay? The first one 
is maturity. Let's go to verse 14. Who's with me? You're making me work hard, and I've been at Ignite all day yesterday. I was at the prison Friday night, and I will work hard if I have to. I said to someone at footy the other day, I couldn't go to Bailey's footy. I said, oh, I'm going to prison. <laughs> and they thought, oh, it was funny. Okay, verse 14, remind them of these things. Remind who? Remind who of these things? Who's he talking to? You've got to go back to verse 8 when he's talking about the eklektos in Greek, which means the elect or God's chosen people. Paul is telling Timothy to remind the church. Remind God's chosen people of these things. What things? The gospel that we talked about last week. The gospel. Remind them of the gospel. All the power and the magnificence of the gospel and charge them before God not to quarrel. Someone say quarrel. About words. So this section, he's talking to the church. He's saying, don't quarrel about words. Heads up, like, for those of you who have young children, let's be honest for a moment. Do you ever have days where they frustrate you? The other day, I came in side and Benji was absolutely losing it. Like, he couldn't breathe. He was crying that hard. I'm like, mate, what is wrong? He's like, Mah! Paul took my spoon. I'm like, what? She took your spoon? Yeah, <laughs> like losing the plot. And he's, he can't even breathe. He's so upset because Mabel had taken his spoon. And I'm like, mate, there is another spoon right there that you can use in this moment. But it wasn't about that spoon. It was that Mabel had taken his spoon and he was so upset about it and he was losing his stuff. And then Mabel runs in and she bursts into tears. She's like, it wasn't his spoon. I'm like, it doesn't matter whose spoon it was. And so she's screaming and he's screaming. Then Bailey walks in and he goes, guys, stop arguing about spoons. So then I'm yelling at him. I'm like, mate, you can't talk. You, you do this sort of stuff. So we're all yelling and it's ridiculous in the house in that moment. Everyone's upset because of a spoon. And I sat there afterwards finally calming him down and just thinking like for 60 minutes we've been yelling about a spoon and we're quarreling over something and people are so upset. And I'm like, kids can be so frustrating because they are so immature. It's just a spoon. And then I started reading this. I was like, oh my goodness, adults aren't that much better. Because while kids will argue and quarrel about a spoon, we argue and quarrel about the stupidest things. And especially in the church, we might not argue because someone took my spoon, but I've had people in my life, and to be honest, I've probably done it myself, where I get upset about someone because they looked at me funny. Now, if Mabel says, Dad, I'm upset because he looked at me, we'll go, that's ridiculous. But when an adult does it, we're like, oh, are you okay? Are you all right? I can't believe she looked at you that way. Oh, my God. Can you believe? You know, last week, she looked at me the same way. And then we start to have factions breaking up because of, like, a look or because of a word, because someone said something out of turn and you took offense. We take offense over the silliest things and it splits up not just churches, but it divides friendships. Lifelong friendships get hurt over silly things. And yes, there's big things. I'm not discounting big things. We've got to work through it. 
But how many times are relationships ruined over words, quarreling about nonsense? And do you know what the other thing I realized is, is that my kids can yell and scream about a spoon, but three minutes later, they'll be hugging and laughing and playing and wrestling outside. Do you know what adults do? Years and years and years of unforgiveness over something as silly as a word. And I realized that just maybe children are more mature than adults. And I just realized that just maybe this word from Paul is so significant, he's saying, remind them of the gospel. And in light of the gospel, in light of the glory of Jesus Christ, in all that he has done for his people, stop fighting and start loving. Choose forgiveness. Choose in that moment to say, sure, that hurt, but just maybe I'll recognize their circumstance and what they're going through, and they really needed the spoon. I can go to the drawer and get another one. Stop fighting. So he just drops that on him. He says, hey, in light of the gospel, first and foremost, to have a strong Christian witness, imagine if the church wasn't fighting. Imagine if the church was genuinely a picture of the kingdom where we loved each other and we looked after each other and we weren't gossiping, we weren't slandering and we weren't going to that person because that person wrote me an email which I didn't like and we just communicated. Imagine the witness. And what he's saying, if we want to be a useful vessel in the kingdom, if we want to be a vessel that God can actually use to bring about his might and his power, then we have to stop quarreling about words. Not because God loves us any less when we are quarreling. Not because it could affect our salvation, but because it ruins our witness. And he's calling us to be a witness. You know, the next part of this passage, in the middle of this passage, which sort of sets the whole thing up, he talks about, he talks about uh, there's, there's everyday items in the kingdom of God, in the, in the house of God, in the church, and there's those that are used for honorable use and for dishonorable. And Basically, that word dishonorable in the Greek means a rubbish bin. And he's basically saying, like, God created us to be that beautiful, honorable vessel, the one that you pull out when important people come over. You know, the the nice china set. He's like, this is what we're created to be. We're created to be something that God can use. Like, he saved you for a purpose. He saved you to take you deeper so that you can be a useful vessel. He didn't save us so that we can be like a rubbish bin. In the house, absolutely. But no impact for the kingdom of God. We're created to have an impact, amen? Second thing I see. How are we going? You with me? Second thing, let's go to verse 15. The second thing that I see him bring up here is accountability. And let me explain that. Let's read it first. Do your best. Everyone say, do your best. To present yourself to your wife. Sorry, I read that wrong. (laughs) Do your best to present yourself to culture. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong again. To God. Present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I've had so many conversations in the last few weeks about a man called Israel Folau. Who's been reading up about Izzy? 
we stand at the most fascinating, potentially scary, intriguing, I'm going to use the word wonderful time in history. Because I think for one of the very first times in Australian culture, the church is entering into a space where just maybe pers- like real persecution might happen. Just maybe we might start losing jobs, losing opportunities, to s- because we're standing firm in the truth. And what I love here is that Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God, not to society. Who are you accountable to? Who are we accountable to? Are we accountable to the politicians? Are we accountable to what society said is politically correct? Are we accountable to what our neighbor thinks is the right thing to say? Are we accountable to anyone else but God? No, if you are a Christian, you are accountable to God. And I've been drawn to Acts chapter 4 this week. Acts chapter 4, which is this beautiful story of Peter and John. Bible readers in the house know the story. Peter and John heal a man who was lame. They heal this, like, in the name of Jesus. So Jesus heals it through Peter and John. And they get arrested because of it. And they go through all this this trial in front of the Sanhedrin. And it says that they recognize that they were ordinary unschooled men who had been with Jesus, which is a pretty good thing to be recognized for. And then in verse 18, this is what I want you to catch. Then they called them in again. So the Sanhedrin call in Peter and John and command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What if the church in this new age, in this post-modern age, was able just to say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard? What if we recognize that we are accountable to God, not to anyone else? First and foremost to God. And as we stand before God and we stand on the truth, then that is when we will have a powerful witness in the world. If we compromise, if we constantly say, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that that offended your sensibilities, I better change what I was saying, then we lose the witness. Sure, it might be offensive at times, so that's why he says, do it with gentleness and respect, which is where the whole Izzy conversation comes in. But that whole idea of holding to truth, holding to what God said is right. And Timothy is living in an age where there are people, false teachers, proclaiming something that is not true. It's an age similar to ours. And his instruction is, hold fast and proclaim the truth, church. Proclaim the truth. Hold fast to what is real. In this age, Timothy's dealing with with teachers who, uh, it's, the, it's the early ages of, of a big spiritual word, a, a, an early um, a heresy known as Gnosticism. Everyone say Gnosticism. 
which was basically this idea that the flesh is evil and that the, the spirit is good and, and it ultimately led to this, this idea that actually Jesus was just raised as spirit, like he, his physical body wasn't raised, which raises a whole heap of things. And this is just the seed of that, the first century seed of this teaching around the resurrection and the nature of the resurrection. And, and so Paul's like, no, no, if, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if, he, if the resurrection isn't a real thing, then what is the point of all of this? And he's just charging Timothy, even though that their teaching is, it sounds great, it's, it's like it's beautiful to listen to, and it's, it's pleasing, and it's, and it's accepting, and gee, they're convincing, and it's drawing people along. He's saying, no, you, Timothy, you, Timothy, you, church, you, Hills Baptist, as followers of Christ, hold fast to the word of truth, because this never changes. It is a constant foundation on which we stand. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so what he teaches, we follow, and we do not change. Amen? Hold fast to the truth. You are accountable. We are accountable to God. Amen? Accountable to God. Last one. From verse 20 to 26. I wrestled, I was trying to sum this up in one word so it's simple so we can take it home. And really, I think what it comes down to is this idea of holiness, this idea of integrity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, that word again, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is beautiful call that goes to the church, to people who are captivated by Christ, not just to sit on the surface of base level understanding, but to dive down deep into a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Filled with the fruit of the Spirit. I used to teach, uh, I used to uh, run coaching clinics back in my university days, in my early 20s, uh, with young kids at a, at a place called Kelly Sport Connection. And uh, a friend of mine and I came up with this great game because stuck in the mud was a bit boring for young children. So we came up with a game that we called Boing Head, <laughs> which is where we had a soft ball in our hands and we ran around and we boinged kids on the head with the ball. And when they got boing-headed, they had to stand with their legs apart. And if someone ran through their legs, they were set free. So it was stuck in the mud with a twist. <laughs> and if stuck in the mud was boring, boing-head was the best game ever. And they loved it. And so we would run around, boing-head, boing-head, having a great time. Until one day we chose to do it at youth group. And we had one particular kid who I don't want to call him soft, but if anyone was going to get injured or complain or something was going to go wrong, it was this kid. So we were having a good old-fashioned, harmless game of Boing Head 
to warm up for youth, and we're running around, and, uh, and we're chasing, and there was this one kid who I was chasing, and to this day, I'm convinced that I didn't ever touch him. There was at no point did the ball in my hand touch this young fella's head, but he fell over, and he let out this almighty scream. And we're like, oh, he's going at it again. And then he rolled over. And you know that advert where the kid's like, and even his head went that way, and even his legs went that way? Well, that was kind of his arm. It was going in directions it shouldn't be going. And then all of a sudden, instead of like, yeah, I really, oh, you know, things weren't great. Uh, and if he, was, if he lacked resilience, it's fair to say his parents lacked a a little bit of resilience and weren't necessarily the most understanding. So after trying to convince them that Boing Head wasn't an evil game and child abuse wasn't occurring at youth group and all was okay, uh, we sort of just worked our way through that. That child never did return to youth group, um, but we didn't get sued, so that was a bit of a win. <laughs> anyway, in debriefing that whole scenario, I remember the pastor at the time pulled out a piece of paper and he drew a line in the middle of the paper. And he said, David, life is full of lines. Life is full of lines, David. He goes, now, the game that you're playing, Boing Head, <laughs> he's like, regardless of whether or not it is just a game of stuck in the mud and whether or not you did actually tap this child on the head, he goes, sometimes in life we have to choose to live above the line. He goes, do you think that the game Boing Head would be a game that exists above the line or below the line? <laughs> And I said, oh, probably exists below the line. And he goes, no, it exists. Oh, no, he said, yes, yes, David, it exists below the line. Perhaps you should start to choose to live above the line. Perhaps you should start to choose, make decisions that rest above the line. Don't push the line, just stay above the line. Live above the line. And so we came to an agreement that, okay, we'd start to make decisions that lived above the line. And what he was effectively was saying was, David, use some common sense, all right? Have some integrity about the way you're doing things. Think things through, all right? Be someone who is trustworthy. Be someone who is honorable to others. He was basically calling us to this place of integrity, of, of like living above the line. Don't Jump over here, a Christian witness. You're going to lose your witness if you keep going over there. You're going to hurt people and upset people. Whereas if you choose to just live in integrity and holiness, if you choose to make wise decisions, then all of a sudden your witness stays true. And this is what Paul is talking to Timothy. He's saying, mate, live above the line. Live above the line. Be that person who chooses day in, day out, to live above the line. And guess what? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have struggles at times. You're going to fall over sometimes. You will, you're a human being, and therefore you will hurt other people. But if your intention, I love where it says, do your best. If your intention is to present yourself to God, if your intention is to live above the line and to choose that, then more often than not, your witness will stand firm and you will shine like a beacon in the earth. And this is what he's calling us to do as Christians. You know, McCrindle Research did, this, uh, did a study, and what they discovered, what they discovered was the number one cause the, like, by a huge margin of people coming to faith is not a great sermon. It's not a great worship experience. It's not a, you know, a moving encounter. The number one reason why people come to faith is because they lived 
next to and encountered someone living on an authentic Christian faith. That's the number one reason by a huge margin. Because in their daily life, there was someone who lived above the line, who honored Christ in the way that they lived, and that life shone. That life stood out. That life resonated. And it convicted, and it challenged, and it inspired, and it led to this place where you've got something I don't have. It reminds me of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's an awesome challenge, hey? Don't stoop down. Live above the line. Because guess what? Your integrity is actually God's invitation. Yeah? Our modesty is God's magnetism. It's something that attracts people to him. Our endurance is God's enticement. Our authenticity is God's appeal. Our devotion is the way that God speaks. It's his dialect to people. He's saying, be that person. Be that vessel. And as you live above the line, as you surrender to Christ, relying purely on his grace, not in the striving, but resting in his spirit and the fruits being born out of us, then you will be a useful vessel. And God will do great things in and through you because his heart is for everyone that they might know his grace and know his love and know that salvation. So don't just skate on the surface. Dive down deep. Dive down deep and allow God's faithfulness to you to bring faithfulness to him that he might put a seed of faith in the faithless. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to close, get into some netball. But this charge, this charge of Paul to Timothy, where he goes through and he talks about, this is what I want you to do, Timothy. This is why I want you to do it. And the way that I want you to do it is simply to live above the line, simply to be that vessel that God's calling you to be, not out of striving, but by diving into God and allowing the Spirit of God to bear fruit and making wise decisions, making wise, godly, authentic decisions. So can we grow in maturity, church? All of us, we all need it. Let's stop arguing over spoons. Let's stop arguing over words. All right, let's hold to the truth. Let's be authentic. Yeah, let's be accountable to God and, and God first and foremost. And let's live lives of integrity that God might shine out of us to a world that is looking for genuine faith. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the great call that exists upon all of us as followers of Christ. This call to holiness, this call to transformation. Father, may we give up quarreling about words. But may we start to pursue righteousness. 
Father, may we hold firm to truth. May we not be swayed by the winds of political correctness, societal change. May we hold firm in that truth, but may we share it with gentleness, respectfulness, and kindness. And as we do, Lord, may we live lives sold out to you. May we live above that line. May we live lives of integrity before God. Knowing that you're the one who keeps us. You're the one who transforms us. You're the one who leads us and guides us. And all you ask is to do our best to present ourselves before you. And as we present ourselves before you and we dive deeper into the word, that we we choose to investigate all the greatness of the gospel and what it means. As we are reminded of who you are, that we will experience that transformation, that sanctification, that growth, that ongoing change, and that you would use that in us to bear witness of your wonders, your majesty and your might. That we might actually be a vessel that is useful. That we might be a worker approved by God. That we might be someone who you say, I'm going to use you to bring my truth and my salvation and my gospel to that person right there. Because I love them as I love you. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would empower us today to go and be that witness in the world. And even now, as we come around some great time of fellowship and lunch and a chance to chat and cheer and laugh, and we just ask God that in all our conversations, you'd just constantly be stirring us, convicting us by your spirit as to how we're living the faith out. So what our conversations look like. Where are we quarreling? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to lay some stuff down and pick up our cross and follow you? And maybe at lunchtime right now, there's a couple of conversations that need to happen. A few sorries need to be said and forgiveness needs to be granted. And would we, uh, would we do that with boldness, with gentleness and respect, we pray. So we love you, Lord. Be with us this week. Encourage us and empower us for the call to be a vessel worthy of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.